Well, again, good morning and welcome to The Grove, and we want to welcome everybody who is worshiping with us online. We are so glad that you are joining us this morning also. Now, we are in week four of a series all about prayer. And the reason that I wanted to start this year off with a series about prayer is, I think, kind of twofold. One, uh, there's probably not a better rhythm that we could develop as people who are trying to like live a life of faith. There's not a more essential, necessary, um, fundamental kind of aspect of the Christian life, um, probably greater than and more important than prayer. That being said, it's probably also one of the most difficult aspects of faith that we try to navigate. For some of us, prayer feels like really foreign and strange. We've never really understood it. It's confusing. The language sometimes is a little hard to access or we don't know what words to say or how to do it. For others of us, our experience with prayer has been um, pretty disappointing. Maybe there have been really important things that we've prayed for, asking God to move and to work, to change, to heal, to fix, to save, and those haven't happened. And so we're left a little bitter and cynical about the efficacy of prayer. And so we've kind of given up praying. And then there's still those of us who we try to do it, um, but it's just hard to commit to a consistent rhythm in our own life. Like we start and stop and we kind of have this infrequent habit of prayer. And really it's not a new problem that we face. It's nothing fundamentally broken or wrong with us. In fact, kind of this is one of the fundamental questions that the disciples asked Jesus. And this is kind of one of these passages that we've been looking at each week in the series is based on Jesus's kind of commitment to prayer in his own life, based on his experience and success with prayer, the disciples go up to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And that's really the goal of this series is, okay, Lord, teach us to pray. How do we look to your example? How do we look to kind of your patterns and rhythms in the life of Jesus? How do we look to his words of instruction around prayer? And how do we allow that to inform our understanding of what prayer should look like, how we can go about it, why it matters, why it's necessary? And then how do we avoid some of the kind of the common pitfalls and the kind of the common obstacles that exist in learning how to pray? And so in response to this question, in response to this request to learn how to pray, uh, Jesus shares these words with his followers. And this is a version of the Lord's Prayer um, that comes out of the Gospel of Luke, the one that we're more familiar with that comes out of the Gospel of Matthew. But really, kind of the essence of these two prayers is the same. And so in response to the request, teach us to pray, this is what Jesus says as an answer. Here's kind of a rubric, a guide. This kind of contains uh, a lot of information that we've looked at the last couple weeks about why prayer matters and why it's important to prayer, uh, to pray. Now, when it comes to application, when it comes to practice for us, this is kind of where we shift in this series. We've talked a lot about the importance of prayer, how to pray, or why we should pray, but we haven't gotten to the how to pray. And there is a lot within this topic. This, of all of the weeks in this series, this was the one that I was kind of hoping I would get sick and miss, that Allie would have to preach, um, because there's this huge world related to the application of prayer. Um, what happens when you pray, what words you should use or words you shouldn't use. Scripture can be really helpful in certain instances, and then in other instances, Scripture is like really problematic, and it often leaves us with more questions than it does provide answers. But 
I think there's a couple of things that happen to us uh, as we approach prayer. And so if this is kind of the guide and the model that Jesus gives us, if this is kind of the instruction that he lays us, I think one version of our prayer patterned after this model looks like this. Simple, we just don't pray. We just don't ask. And this is for a lot of reasons. This is for a lot of really good reasons. Um, kind of the primary reason, though, that we don't ask is because there's some belief, some experience that's informed this idea that prayer just doesn't work. It's not a real thing that actually makes a difference in the real world. And a lot of that, I think, comes from the way that our understanding of how the world works has shifted over the last 200 years. So kind of starting with the Enlightenment, there started to be this understanding that the world was divided into two primary categories. Those things that are true for just you, that would be the world of feelings, things like beauty, truth, morality, love, religion. These are things that are only true for you which is why they're all relative. This is an idea that kind of came out of the alignment. Things that are only true for you or things that are true for everyone. This is the world of fact. This is where we get science and information and technology and mathematics and things that can be proven and tested and retested and double-blind tested and empirically proven to be true. This is how the world has become divided over the last couple hundred years. And so... When fact tells us that something isn't empirically true, it can't be trusted. And so we let go of it. We don't rely upon it. It's hard to measure. It's hard to evaluate prayer. My guess is for many of us, feels like this mystery. It's confusing. Sometimes it seems to work, and sometimes it seems to work more for other people than it does for us or vice versa. And because we can't fully understand how it works, it seems to verify the fact that it's not a fact. It's not something real that is true for everyone. And because of this, it's not just prayer that's been segmented to this idea of things that are only true for you, but religion and God have as well. This is why everyone is allowed to kind of choose their own morality and to choose their own values and their own systems of belief because it's only true and personal to the individual. It's not something that actually has consequence in the course of our actual lives and can be proven to be true for everyone. So for many of us, because we don't understand prayer, because we can't prove that prayer works, we don't have evidence that God is real, this is what our prayer looks like. And this is the problem that we face, is we don't ask. Now, the problem with not asking is, is actually a little obvious. When you don't ask, you don't receive. And so then this kind of doubles down on this kind of evidence that we find in our own lives of the absence of God. It's like, well, God doesn't, hasn't done anything for me lately. Must not be true, must not be real. James, the brother of Jesus, uh, he writes a little bit about prayer and a little bit about this issue. And I, I think it's so funny when you think about the brother of Jesus kind of deciding that his brother was the Messiah and then writing about how important it is to actually pray. Like, if you have a sibling, think about what it would take for you to convince your sibling that you were the Messiah. <laughs> right? But James has, seems to come to this conclusion. I, my guess is, uh, my brother probably thinks, I think I'm the Messiah. But, 
I don't. And I could never convince him that I was one or the one. But James recognizes that when you don't ask, you don't receive. And that leaves you in a very isolated and lonely place. And this is what James says about it. You long for something you don't have, so you commit murder. You are jealous for something you can't get, so you struggle and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. And this is the problem with not asking. It's not just that you don't receive. It's that you're left to solve all of your problems on your own. You take it upon yourself through kind of intelligence, ability, you know, your unique giftings. You are left to navigate this world all by yourself. And for kind of our hyper-individualized Western society, uh, a lot of this actually works because for many of us, we've kind of gotten places and made things out of our lives based on our abilities, our intelligence, kind of the, the resources that we've been able to leverage and expound into more resources. Like we've kind of proven to ourselves that, hey, look what I can do. The problem is though, when you don't depend on God for anything, you're left all on your own to try to solve your problems by yourself. And this is kind of the pattern that I see as a pastor most, is you have these people who've never had a need for God until they come to a problem that they can't solve themselves. Typically, it's related to loss or illness or death. There's these kind of moments, we call them crisis of faith, where people are like, I finally run into a problem that my abilities can't solve for myself. And now I'm ready to pray or now I'm willing to pray. Think about kind of the people that you know in your life, even the ones that don't seem particularly um, kind of aligned to religion or open to kind of God being active and present in the world and in their life. It's always around death and loss that they're like, hey, I'm praying for you. Why is it that there seems to be this inclination, even in people who aren't religious or spiritual, that in moments where the problems are bigger than ourselves, cancer, illness, disease, death, we're inclined to want to leverage the abilities and the powers of a force or a power greater than ourselves. It's because of the way that we're wired, we're designed to be in relationship with God, even if we resist it, even if we're so inclined to try to live life based on our own abilities and merits. When the problems get too big, inevitably we get to the place where we start to kind of creep back towards this idea that maybe we need to depend on something greater than ourselves. This is kind of the first problem that we see when it comes to praying and prayer is we just, we just flat out don't ask. Now, the next version of our prayer, kind of based on Jesus's model, is not that we don't ask, but it's that our prayer looks like this. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. That's kind of far, as far as we get. So, at least we're praying, at least we're showing up to God and we're asking for things, but our problem isn't that we don't ask, it's that we don't ask for what we want. And for me, this is actually, of all of the issues with prayer, the one that I struggle with the most is I'm all for God fixing the world and you know, world peace and hunger and poverty. I, I would love for that to happen and for God to do that. But am I really authentic and transparent and honest and vulnerable about what I need, about the things that are going on in my life, that's hard for me. It's hard for a variety of reasons. My guess is it might be hard for you too. For some of us, we show up to prayer and we're like, 
feels a little selfish asking for what I want. Or maybe you just have, are kind of still inclined to solve your problems yourself. And so you don't ask for what you want because you're like, well, God, you handle the stuff, the big stuff, and then I'll handle my stuff. And we kind of make that division in our prayer life. But what happens here in this moment is when we don't ask for what we want, there's no authenticity. When there's no authenticity, there's no intimacy. And when there's no intimacy, there's no relationship. And so right after Jesus kind of gives these words in the Lord's Prayer of instruction to his disciples, he starts to tell a story to kind of unpack and explain why it matters that we ask, why it's important that we ask. And this is the story that he says, and, and I'm going to kind of read part of it, and I'll show you kind of the summary of it. And so Jesus says to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. Now, this is important to kind of understand the context and the dynamics of what's happening in this first century Palestinian culture. Hospitality was the kind of chief value. More than anything else, it was important to be hospitable to guests, to strangers, to people who would show up at your house. Your reputation, your character, your honor was tied up in your ability to be hospitable. And these three loaves of bread are significant. The first loaf of bread is to offer your friend to meet the, their immediate needs. The second loaf of bread is for you to eat with them so that you can provide a sense of community and belonging for this friend. Then the third loaf of bread, this is to demonstrate your generosity, that you are willing to go above and beyond to meet their needs. So it's not just a random number or this person is, you know, preparing for a marathon the next day and they need to carb load. Like the number of bread matters to the different levels of need that people have in their life. So Jesus is intentional with this story that he's painting. He's like, somebody shows up and they have these needs. Some of the needs they're aware of and some of the needs um, are maybe deeper, the kind of more like heart needs that they're not aware of. But your friend comes to you and asks for three loaves of bread. And then he answers from within, don't bother me, go away. The door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. Now, this is kind of a strange story to us because some of the dynamics uh, aren't the same for our culture and our world. But there's this last line, at least because of his persistence, the man who's at the door knocking, that the man inside the house will get up and give him what he needs. Now, anytime scripture tells a story or Jesus creates a parable, uh, there's a couple of characters that you can always identify in a story. One character is God. The other character is humanity or us. And the story is always kind of helping you to explore what does this story say about who God is, the nature of the character of God. What is this story saying about the nature and the character of us, of humanity? And what is this story saying about the relationship or the intended or supposed relationship between the two of them? So for us in this story, God's inside the house. We're at the door knocking. We're the ones in need. Jesus is saying, this is how you should act and operate with God. Don't give up. Keep asking. Be persistent. But see, this word, it gets translated as persistent. But really, uh, in its kind of original language, it better translates as desperate or shameless. This, I, this idea that we're not giving up until, until God shows up, until God answers the door, because we are so dependent upon God to meet our needs. And I think that's absent 
particularly maybe in my life, and maybe it's true for you, like I want God to do stuff, but I am not desperate enough. I am not shameless enough. I am not persistent enough. Jesus goes on. And so this is what he says. He says, so, I say to you, so, summary, in conclusion, I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. I think what Jesus is inviting us into as it pertains to prayer is to first just to ask, but also to ask authentically to ask about the things that we need, the things that we want, the things that might feel selfless or too simple to pray for. There's no category that's too big or too small in the kind of the model that Jesus gives us in the Lord's Prayer. One of the requests is, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Now what that means is really, Lord, give us today our bread for tomorrow. Lord, help us to, again, depend on you and Lord, help us to like honestly admit what it is that we need. Maybe it's relational. Maybe you have relationships that you're like, God, I, I really, I want a relationship or I need you to fix a relationship or I need you to save a relationship or help me get out of a relationship. Whatever it is with your relationships, whether it's with family or with friends or a significant other, like these are all things that we can bring to God. Maybe it's like immediate kind of physical needs. Maybe it's a health issue or maybe it's a health issue of a loved one. None of this stuff is off the table. Even like kind of the raw emotions about anger and frustration and disappointment in the way that God maybe didn't do something that you want. Those are all fair game. I mean, if you just read through the Psalms, it's all a lot of fish shaking and a lot of asking and requesting for God to meet immediate needs. I mean, some of the language gets kind of like really extreme and it's like, God, kill all of my enemies. Like, all of this is fair game, but what Jesus wants us to do is to ask for what we want. Ask for what it is that we feel like we need. First, we gotta ask, and then we gotta ask authentically. We gotta be real honest. Because here's what happens when we start to become honest with God, is it requires us first to be honest with ourselves. And as we become honest with ourselves, it identifies, it helps us identify the ways that we're actually not capable of meeting all of our own needs, which goes back to that first issue of like our hyper-independence and not even asking God in the first place. God is trying to draw us into dependence, to desperation, to a willingness to be shameless before God. It helps us rely on God and trust God. This is about creating a relationship. That's ultimately what prayer is for, is to create a relationship between us and God. But like in your own relationships, if you never need them to do anything for you, if there's no space for them to ever help you or to serve you or to be there for you, it doesn't actually feel like that intimate of a relationship. If you're the type of person, which we can smell our own kind, that you're a lot better at doing for other people than you are allowing them to do for you, it doesn't actually create space for people to feel close to you. The same is true for God. God wants you to trust him, to depend on him, to need him, to be desperate for him. And the way that you do that is by asking from the smallest, simplest thing to the biggest, most extravagant thing. God is inviting us into asking. Now, there's one other version of this, and this kind of takes this last 
idea of asking authentically for what you need to the extreme. So this is what that version of a prayer looks like. Give us our bread and do not bring us to the time of trial. So for some of us, we don't ask. For some of us, we don't ask for what we really want. And for others of us, we only ask for what we want. And we're kind of consumed with this Amazon wish list God who they're the ones who are able to just kind of bring us all the stuff that we want. This is like, you know, shopping spree God, like, you know, shop till you drop kind of God. And the problem and the issue with this is the focus isn't on relationship. The focus isn't on developing intimacy with God. The focus is on getting what we want. Now in that passage that James was talking about, you don't receive because you don't ask, he continues his instructions. So he says, you don't ask, or you don't have because you don't ask. And then he, the next verse he says this, he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you want on your pleasures. Now, this kind of third problem with prayer is when we just focus on what we need. Yeah, we, we're depending on God, and yeah, we're being authentic with what we need related to God, but God serves us. We don't serve God. We haven't surrendered to God's will, to what God is trying to do in the world that we are a part of. God works for us. God is kind of the person in charge of bringing us all the cool stuff that we want. And this misunderstands the relationship or the intended relationship between us and God. And so what James and I think Jesus invites us into is learning how to ask correctly, learning how to ask for what we want, learning how to ask authentically for the things that we need, but balancing in it with a level of surrender to what God is trying to do. Because what happens when we begin to kind of balance these two things out is it shifts our language and kind of the way that we think the world works. As we kind of shift this perspective and we start to surrender to God. For example, uh, I want a house in Colorado. I want a second home in Colorado. I think that'd be awesome. I would love to spend time in the mountains. I don't think there's anything wrong with a second home or a second home in the mountains. If you have either of those, I'd love to talk to you after the service. <laughs> and as I pray for that, I think God invites us to do that. But if I only pray for what I want and I don't balance it with surrender to God's will, here's what the prayer sounds like or here's the conversation with God as it relates to this kind of a prayer. God, I want a house in Colorado. God, will you help me figure out how to get enough money to buy a house in Colorado? What do I need to do how could I win the lottery or get a second job or sell body parts, God? Help. Like, it's all about questions about how I solve what it is that I need. I never get to the place of, God, I want a house in Colorado. But God, help me to identify that if that's actually not the best use of those kind of resources. God, help me to identify if that's actually going to isolate me from my community, from people who need me. God, is that going to elevate me in terms of status in a way that makes me harder to be in relationship with? It misses this whole secondary set of questions and thoughts about this idea. It's not that wanting a house in Colorado is wrong or a house anywhere or any of the things that we pray for. But when we only view them through the lens and the perspective of our need, 
we miss the bigger opportunity that exists. It may be the case that a second home in Colorado allows me to serve people, allows me to gift this to people who would never be able to vacation you know, somewhere like this on their own. It would allow me uh, to actually create more community or have more opportunity to connect with people. Maybe that kind of resources in my life change in such a way that it is not over leveraging what I have in order to get what I want, but it's a balanced use of what I have. All of these things start to shift when we start to account for God's will. Jesus, of course, gives us the perfect balance of this. Right before he goes to the cross, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying. Jesus understands the assignment that's before him, the calling to which you know, he's on earth to fulfill. He knows. A version of this could be, all right, God, I'll do what you ask of me. No prayer needed. I'll go ahead and I'll do what you've called me to do and I'll go to the cross. Another version could look like this prayer that he prays kind of the first half. He says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. That could be the prayer. God, I don't want to do this. I want out. Take, take this cup from me. But that's not, that's not what he does. He, he prays. He depends on God. He asks authentically for what he wants. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. And then he balances it. He caveats it. He conditions it with an awareness and a surrender to God's will. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. He shows up dependent upon God, authentically makes his request known, and surrenders to God's will. As we begin and continue to practice praying, practice bringing our needs, our desires, the longings of our heart to God authentically, depending on God to meet our needs. May we we also create space to invite God in to show us where his will will be done in our life. And so I don't know which category you find yourself in. You just don't ask. Maybe you don't ask for what you want because it's hard to be honest and authentic and it's easier to pray for world peace and, you know, the end of poverty. Or maybe you're really good at asking for, for what you want and you just haven't created space for God's will in your life. Wherever we fall, may we start to pray these type of prayers. Father, if you're willing, fill in the blank. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. As we begin to do this, it will draw us into a deeper relationship with God. It will allow us to depend on him, to show up more authentically, and also surrender to his will. And as we do that, we will become more and more like the person of Christ. Let me pray for us. I want invite the band to lead us in one last song. Gracious God, we thank you for this morning, for this opportunity to be reminded that it's okay to ask. And it's okay to ask for what we want. But Lord, help us to remember that we should also ask for your will to be done in our lives. God, we are instruments and tools to share your love and grace with this world. Help us to remember that and to live accordingly. God, help us to depend on you each and every day. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite the ushers forward as we collect our morning's offering. If you've got those, those Connect cards, this is a great opportunity to put those in the baskets when they come around. And uh, we'll invite you to stand here in just a second. <laughs>